and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the sage himself, the Jewish sage, I'm Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Chris. Another week. Another week, another great podcast. Hey, let me tell what our uh, what's in store for our audience. Number one, we're going to continue our study on the book of Revelation. That's the first thing. We've got... Steve, are you ready for fast news again? I, I got to get my phone ready. You got to get your phone ready for fast news. That's coming up soon. Fast news. Ay, 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 we've ay, got ay, fast ay. news. We've got other news coming up, but we have special guests. But before we get to that, here we go. Welcome in. Welcome in. That's right. We are going to be continuing our study in the book of Revelation. Do you think we're moving fast enough for your liking, Steve? Uh, not really. <laughs> We got to go a little faster. A little faster. Ch- chapter six. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We're we're not now. We're in Surus. We're in Surus country. We're in trouble. We're in trouble country. But who's sponsoring? How are we even here, Chris? That's right. The sponsor of the Jew and Gentile podcast is none other than FOI Equip. And FOI Equip is your opportunity to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Uh, we have one more week left of our class. Oh, Chris. The Tabernacle. Dan Price has been amazing. Knocking it out of the park. This is his third week already. We have had um, over, I think, 650 people register to join us online. And uh, last week, we had about... 180 tune in with more people watching on YouTube. The week before that, we had 200 people. We have Roland, I believe his name is Roland, from the United Kingdom. And he stayed up. He stayed up till three in the morning or something. Unbelievable. What a guy. Somehow we got to tell Dan, who is so good, people had, I saw 67 questions on the chat. We have those little chat things. Yep. Except he went to 25 to the hour of nine, which is an hour and five minutes. And people were, they they were there. They had questions. But they had questions and our time was up. You know, that's also a sneaky way for a speaker to To not avoid the questions. Just talk right through the class. (laughs) He was fantastic. (laughs) This week's going to be great. The temple, the tabernacle, that's on people's minds. It really is. uh, The future is on people's minds. I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit, what people think about the future. Uh, we have a Pew Research poll that we're going to be looking at in a little bit. Um, but Steve, also, not not only do we have the tabernacle coming up, but in February, we're going to have life as a Jewish believer. And, and you know what? Maybe we're going to get a little flavor of that today with our special guest. Ah, maybe we will, because we have a Rosenthal. We have a Rosenthal in the house. Now, what do you think, Rosenthal? You think that's Irish? <laughs> Do you think? I think a little Irish, But yeah. I got to be careful because, uh, well, the couple, are. Uh, we have uh, Stan Rosenthal and Marlene Rosenthal, his wife. Hi, Stan and Marlene. Great to see and, you. And Good to be here. It's just a blessing to be with you guys. Well, that's what he says right now. Let's give him 10 <laughs> minutes and see. But he was my boss. Was he? I, you talk, you call me the sage. Uh, I know, bupkis. Uh, I learned a lot from Stan Rosenthal, my boss. We used to call him the Big Macher. The Big Macher. He was the Big Macher. And in fact... <laughs> we have three generations of North American Ministries directors in this room right now. That is 100% correct. That's right. Stan, you, I know we're missing out on Fred. Fred, that's right. And then I am... Uh, and you followed suit. That, and I, they keep getting shorter and shorter <laughs> and shorter. And probably a little dumber, too. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> no, not dumber. Actually, you, from me to you, is gone. we've gone up a little bit. But you've gone down in height, but up in brains. But uh, no, Stanley Rosenthal, as we called him, uh, Mr. Rosenthal, Mm. uh, Director Rosenthal. uh, No, all kidding aside, Stan and Marlene, we're really glad you're here. First, let's hear from Marlene, because it's the woman, the woman that's the most important. (laughs) That's Uh, right. The better half, we call it. It sure makes a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a great husband. That's right. How many years, Stan, have you guys been married? 62. Amazing. 63 next month. They must have got married when they were 14 years old. Wait, there's a a saying for this. There's a saying. Is anything okay? (laughs) (laughs) So, Marlene, tell us, uh, when we were talking before, you said 37 times you've moved since you've been married. more than that, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you're so calm. If I would, I would <laughs> yeah, say 37. 37 well, I'm in shock, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, Marlene, tell us a little bit about your family. Children, oh, grandkids. Goodness, yes, we have three children, two girls and a boy. And we have six grandchildren and 
five great-grandchildren. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whose phone is that? That's mine. It's mine, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that one of the grandkids calling you? I I thought so. Where's this coming from? It's a solicitor. A solicitor. A solicitor, isn't it always? You're not home. The bills are paid, right? (laughs) True, true, true. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, In fact, uh, Stan, you're... Daughter Bonnie is married to Dan Pearson. Correct. Who is our IT guy. But uh, tell us, Stan, you occupied my seat for a while. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, how many years you did that? What did you do after that? That's a good question. You don't know the I'm answer. I'm going back pretty far. You are going and back. I'm getting older at the same time. Well, well so we can have the ex- clock. We, uh, we can give you a little music. do 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 <laughs> I was I was actually pastoring a local church here in in South Jersey after I was uh um uh, going leaving uh, Philadelphia College of Bible. Mm. You went as an older student, right? Yes, I actually uh went when I was 30 years of age. You left the New York business world, right? I left the New York business world indeed. And uh, it's been a real blessing. Mm. Were you at the Arch Street? Were you in Philadelphia when PCB was there or when it was Langhorn? No, it was on Arch Street. Oh, no. It was Arch Street. Yeah, yeah, in Philadelphia. That's where I went. Oh, you went to Philadelphia too? I was the last graduating class from downtown. Okay. But this isn't about me. It's about Right down the the street from where the PCB was in Arch Street, my grandmother, who, who came from Russia in 1908, Opened up a, a a bar, right? Just down the street. You want to talk about? Yeah. You know, she escaped from uh, from Russia from the Russian pogroms mm. in in 1908 Amazing. and came to the states. By the way, to to bring about the the concept of everything's in God's hands and the appointed time for everything. Um, my grandmother came in 1908. My mother was born here in, in 1911, and that was not by mistake. God directed all this because it was my mother a few years later, uh, a number of years later, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Jewish woman. Wow. Uh, and that's a whole story to tell you some future time. <laughs> we'll have to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, we only have, this is only one session, Stan. We can't, we can't <laughs> yeah. do three sessions on here. But we'd love to <laughs> at, at the at same time. time. That's right. Anyway, my mother got saved. And after my mother got saved, my brother Marvin and myself got saved. Amazing. And my oldest brother came out of Alaska from the military, and he thought we all fell on uh, banana peels and cracked our heads a little, but he got saved. His his wife, who used to work for Fred Astaire Dancing Studio, as well as my oldest brother, uh, mm. she was searching as a Jewish woman what is really right for for her to believe. And my brother, my oldest brother, said, you need to come speak to my mother and my brothers. And she did. And she came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the finest, best missionaries I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And I've seen a lot of them. And then uh, we have a daughter who went into the ministry. I have a a, a nephew who has went, went into the ministry, all because of God bringing my my grandmother to the United States and how... God used all of that. And I can only tell you this, not anything having to do with patting any of us on the back, but God used our family unbelievably so. Mm. Uh, no over question all about these that. decades, not just hundreds, but thousands of people were introduced to Jesus Christ through God using so many of our family members. My wife is a Jewish woman, she married me, and uh, uh, only aye, after aye, she aye, found aye, out, aye, aye, after aye. she found out that she was dating a Jewish guy who accepted Jesus Christ, her family basically kicked her out of the house, cl- very close to that, mm. and she got saved. And uh, our our daughter in Florida saved. Our our son in in uh, Orlando is saved. God's used the family tremendously. Mm. Uh, I, and I mean that tremendously. 
and and to God be the glory for it all. Well, I got to tell you a story. I got to tell you a story, Chris, because this involves. Uh, we got to get the camera here. There we go. You got to hold it up. Hold Stan, it up to this camera. Stan doesn't remember. That's me. If you can uh, see that picture, let me, let me see that. Yeah, picture. you could stick I'm it in front of the camera for our YouTube crowd. Let's That's see. right. For the six of you, or maybe seven, who are listening now or watching, you could see it. So we have a magazine called Israel My Glory, and Stanley, of course, was my boss. <laughs> And uh, he sent me, we, we no emails, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. And I get in the mail, my wife says, oh, you better look at this. I open it up. There's a ripped out page from IMG, and it's got this picture circled in red yep. from my boss, Stan Rosenthal, saying, get a haircut, I can't find your face, this person thinks you're the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him up. He said, I got to find your face. I can't see it. So I said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I, that's the, I know that's the way it is. I trimmed it, whatever. Then a few weeks later, Alice, my wife tells me, oh, we got some mail from FOI from Stan Rosenthal and the same picture. Did he tell you to keep the hair? No, <laughs> a person circled it and said, this person, he looks so nice. He looks like the Holy Spirit's gotten a hold of him. I want to start supporting his work. <laughs> That's a true story. I love it. Only with FOI. Now, Stan, your brother, you mentioned him, yes. Marvin Rosenthal. He, yes. he was an executive director here. He was. He was the second uh, director here. In Interesting. And, of course, he hired his brother. A he did. You know, from one Rosenthal to another, right? And so you came on as the national director. And I remember being in Collingswood, hearing you guys argue. Oh, you never argued, <laughs> did you? Oh, you had to be at our home to hear about that. Uh, even, even when he was in Florida and we were still back in New Jersey at that point, every time we visited them from roughly 7 o'clock in the evening till 2 in the morning, Marvin and I would be discussing things and arguing and Discussing. So I love that word, Chris. Word. You know better than That's that a better by word. now, right? That's a better word. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, it's been just such a blessing to be able to be a servant of the Lord. You were talking uh, to everybody that's hearing this uh, about your boss. I was never your boss. I was, I was a That's servant. That's news to me, Stan. I was a servant of the Lord that was being oh, used good, good. to teach. He never described it that way. <laughs> said, I want you to do this. You better. I, I never, he never said, I'm the servant of the Lord. Are you mind doing this? <laughs> never. <laughs> live and be well. That, he, I never heard that from Stan either. <laughs> We love he doesn't have good memory. No, he doesn't. Uh, what no, can I tell you? I'm That's getting it. old. I'm getting old. It's all cloudy to me now. That's good. You know, um, Stan, you're talking about the impact that your family has had on sharing the gospel. And I remember reading about the Holy Land experience down in Orlando. Yes. And, you know, I, I knew the, the, the tremendous ministry that was. But I read a statistic uh, not long ago about how many people would go through every single year uh, because it was your family that founded the Holy Land experience and um, and built it. You know, it was a vision. Um, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would go through, and you never left that place without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, honestly, I just think, you know, when you, uh, you're, for our listeners, they're not exaggerating. I mean, so many lives have been touched by the Rosenthal family, um, and it's so it's an honor to be able to sit here and speak with you uh, and to hear these stories as well. The the bottom line of that is that my brother uh, was led by the Lord to uh, after Friends of Israel, mm -hmm. uh, and he was out in Florida uh, to actually go ahead and open that Holy Land experience. It wasn't too much longer after that that he was able to grab a hold of me where I was ministering and bring me back in uh, to uh, uh, the Holy Land experience. And then he took my wife, Marlene, who also joined us there, and uh, my nephew, David, Marvin's son. Uh, it was just a magnificent uh, ministry. Mm. And it's right. People loved it. Uh, one of the finest times we spent with tears coming out of our eyes 
they were actually going through the the execution of Jesus Christ. And, and it looked like you were really in Jerusalem mm-hmm. where that was all taking place. Mm-hmm. And w- how that was played out there, there were hundreds of people standing, watching, and tears were coming out of everybody's eyes. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, I worked in the shops. You did. And every time they did that uh, resurrection, or not resurrection, the crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus, I cried every time, mm. and I knew what was coming, and, but it was just so touching, and the, the depiction was so real, you just felt it, and it was just, it was electrifying, really. I just read that number, Steve, and I thought to myself, it's amazing how many people went through and heard the good news, mm. and saw, it, it wasn't just hearing it, it was seeing, seeing. it, it was yeah. seeing. No, it was a very imaginative, creative way mm. uh, that that place was uh, mm. open, and so many people saw it. it was it made the newspapers when mm-hmm. they went down there and built that? Oh, it was an amazing time, and it's amazing to see my boss, the servant. <laughs> we had a ser- servant boss, the servant of the uh, Lord. Uh, hey, wait here. a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Every one of us who have ever embraced Jesus as our promised Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Living God, every one of us are a servant, Amen. as Jesus Himself made it clear. He was a servant. Amen. He's back, baby. He's back. He's, he's, <laughs> somebody, he's, we, he's, he's loaded up. He's ready oh, to go. This is no you're, longer. You're getting me excited. Ah, there you go. <laughs> this is no longer the Jew and Gentile. It's the Jew, Jew, Jew and Gentile <laughs> podcast. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, we're going to keep moving on. You, you all stay around as long as you want. You can leave whenever you want. You don't even have to. Any, the, folks here, all seven of them, they don't care when they, they don't leave. Get exactly. You so stay, you don't stay. Come in, get yourself a drink, relax, sit back. So we're going to continue um, our conversation here. Steve, do we have any, I just want to make sure, um, do we have any did you know? Did you have anything? Prepared? I did not find anything, not this week, not did you know. Okay. But instead, we have to, I'm got, getting on the Jerusalem Post. You're getting on Israel Today. Yep, here right? we go. Here we go. All right. Hold on a second. Here we go. Wait, they're announcing. They don't want to announce. They don't want to make a big deal, but they're they leaving. Okay, they're leaving. They're out of here. <laughs> they're we leaving. understand. Uh, All right. Wait a minute. Before you ever do that, let me make it very clear. <laughs> go ahead. We've come from Florida to New Jersey a couple years ago, and we wanted to spend some time with friends of Israel here and to see what great work God is doing through FOI. Yeah. We're thankful the, they're here, And the too. missionaries that you guys have. Well, and then you came to the Jew and Gentile podcast. You said, what in the world is uh, going on at li- that well, I'd love to hear their conversation on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> Marlene, what are these people? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. Every one of you that are hearing this today or in the days that follow, uh, you should take advantage of everything that Friends of Israel uh, offers, number one. Mm. Number two, when they have their next trip to Israel, uh, toward Israel, you need need to go. Even if you've been there 10 years ago, you need to go again. Isn't that spoken like a servant? Uh, Not a boss. No, exactly. That's a servant's heart. (laughs) Stanley, thank you. And we love you guys. We, We have to make... Another point. You have to make an aliyah. Get out of here. Make your way up. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, Steve. I think I'm ready to go with Times of Israel. Are you ready? Uh, Get the music started. I've got the music. Am I first or are you first? You're up first. Okay. So let me make sure I hit the right button here. And here we go. Okay. The U.S. democracy is talking point to defend Israel, Nidus says. Okay. Coalition warns Attorney General any move to suspend Netanyahu akin to coup. She denies weighing in. NATO's Baltic states, Russia, remove ambassadors as diplomatic relations downgraded. This is trouble, Chris. This is big time. Okay, here's a big one, Steve. Uh, Blinken, U.S. uh, uh, Secretary Blinken, to visit Israel next week amid U.S. concerns over the new uh, government. So the United States is sending Blinken over because they're worried about Democracy. <laughs> there you go. From the Jerusalem Post, thousands of shells per day would hit Lebanon if IDF, Hezbollah go to war in the future. I do not want to be there if that happens. That, no. Okay, so Lapid, who is our uh, Israel's former prime minister, said the president 
considering my idea to set up a panel for balanced judicial reform. This is what we'll talk about later on in our slow news. 100% Lebanese army unifil block IDF border work in the north. All life is great in Israel. <laughs> Coalition heads join uh, Shas meeting in support of dairy. We've been talking about dairy over the past couple weeks. Prime Minister vows to fix dismissal. They want him back in the government, Steve. U.S. should end nuclear negotiations with Iran, never to re-enter the deal, according to former Vice President Pence. All right, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Uh, Dermer, uh, Mike Dermer, said uh, to make a secret trip to UAE ahead of possible Netanyahu visit. That's a big deal. U.S.-Israel launched major Air Force exercise in message to Iran, and I know I gotta be in a hurry, and that is rapid fire. <laughs> Fast news. Fast news. Wait, a couple more seconds. Here we go. We got to get to the end, Steve. Oh, sorry. No, here we go. Now it's coming. All right. That was fast. We were terrible. Uh, (laughs) We'll work on it. We'll work on it. That's only our second time. And we were on the money the first time. I know. That's because you were last. Well, no, but... (laughs) <laughs> but we but we practiced it last time, I think. Yeah, we didn't we didn't do it. All right, well, better off we're getting but to I Revelation chapter will, 6. I hope people will take those are real headlines we just read. Yep. Uh, from the Jerusalem Post and from Israel News and these are things happening that we can be informed of and it's just interesting. It's it's Very great. It's great. Okay, so uh Revelation chapter 6, Steve. Revelation chapter 6. So Chris, we have left the churches. Uh, chapters 2 and 3, we were introduced to the revelation of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, and uh, John seeing him from the Isle of Patmos, his glory. And then we went to chapters 4 and 5, where he was ushered in the Spirit into into the heaven to see the glory of God manifested uh, along with angelic beings and uh, just a gigantic worship service that must have been amazing. And in fact, in chapter five, uh, John was weeping because the title deed to the world uh, was sealed with seven seals and no one was qualified. They had to be qualified. And John said, no one's qualified. He starts to weep. And then who does he see, Chris? Jesus. What? But, right? And, yeah. Breaking this, breaking the seals. Well, he's the, the lamb, the lamb that looks as though has been slain. Uh, he's the only one qualified, the Lord Jesus, to break the seals. And now we're coming to chapter 6. Why don't you start us yeah, off? It's the breaking of the seals that takes place here. From and, the only one qualified. And, no one else could do this. And I'd like to add this too, Steve, is that we're entering into this judgment. John is still in a vision. It's not as if he's, remember, he, he's, he's brought up by the Spirit into heaven. A door opens. God is giving him this vision of him in heaven, everyone worshiping him, the idea that he's the right judge on the throne, he has the right to be able to judge. And so what we're seeing now is as he's still in this vision, he is looking, you know, he's watching these things happen. The judge is judging now. But We talked about this actually earlier. We did, but we have to be clear as we have to give a little background here because of the chronology of the book of Revelation. When I was back, and when you were back in Bible college, we took, both of us at different time periods, took a course called Dan Rev, Daniel Revelation. And when you're reading Revelation, it's very helpful to have already read Daniel, Mm because it gives us perspective. Because something dramatic has happened between chapters 5 and chapter 6 as it relates to the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not in the context here. It's not, except for, Chris, we had the churches in chapters 2 and 3, and we heard to the church in Laodicea, to the church in Sardis, to the church in Smyrna, to the to the church in Ephesus. Chris, from chapter 6, we won't be reading about the church. There's no mention of the church until we get to Revelation chapter 19. Mm-hmm. We'll hear about it again. Mm-hmm. Why the silence? You want to give us a little background? Because I think it's important that we set the stage, because what we're going to read about uh, has the the, the, we need to know where the church is at this time. Well, the, I think it all goes, again, like you said, it, it stems from the fact that Revelation is heavily dependent on, as John's revealing these things to us, heavily dependent on what the prophets 
uh, had written in the Old Testament, Daniel being one of them. And there's these uh, this passage about Daniel's 70th week, and um, it lays out the time, basically, of when Jesus would come, his, his death, burial, resurrection, and ultimately the coming of the kingdom. It, it gives us a full prophetic panorama of what's going to happen. But it's interesting because just right before uh, uh, the, the, the last week is about to come of the 70th weeks, there's a break, there's a pause that takes place. So it causes scholars to wonder what happens between that 69th week and the 70th week. There's a break, there's a breath. And I don't take those breaths those pauses lightly. We see it even in Ezekiel chapter 37, when you see that God is giving a vision for the resurrection of the people and the nation of Israel, and them dry bones. Those dry bones come back to life, and He forms them. But then the bones just stand there, lifeless. There's there there. It's a no lifeless breath in them. But there's the that's right. There's no breath of God that's been breathed in them. But there's a, it's it's as if God did it on purpose to show us something. That he was doing because he says, uh, Ezekiel, do you see this? Na- these people are standing, but they're standing there lifeless. What what do we do now? And 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 Ezekiel, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. And he goes, I'm going to breathe my breath of life, prophesy the breath of life into them, and they will live. And that's there, so. There's this pause, this breath. There's a br- uh, or a break. There's a break that happens in history as well. It's a break in how God is using Israel and the Jewish people, and what we're going to see is that in chapter 6, we're moving back into that 70th week, we're completing, uh, each week is seven years uh, long, and we're going to see finally the completion of Daniel's 70 weeks, but that break will finally come to an end, and I believe that break ends at the rapture of the church. Uh, so that is one of the first events that happens, and then we begin the process of moving into a seven-year period where God focuses on Israel and the Jewish people again. Well, one thing that's so important that I learned as a Jewish person, the idea of the church, the church, if you would have told me about the church before I became—I knew about the church, nothing but surus, Chris, nothing but trouble. They, the, you know, you go through Jewish history and you read about the church and what it—I it, 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 had a giant misconception— of what the church was. But biblically speaking, the church, from the prophet's point of view, was a mystery. A mystery. They didn't they didn't know about it. They thought that the chronology would go those 70 weeks and that 70th week involving Israel. But God in his sovereignty and in his plan and program for redemption, in order to include Gentiles, we're in the time of grace, we call it, mm-hmm. an unspecified time. How long? How long? Who who knows? Only God knows mm-hmm. how long. And so the church, uh, that is, that Stan was talking about, it's on his heart. You could hear his passion. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't that exciting? You know, Stan's in his 80s. He looks like he's in his 60s. Yeah. Uh, and he's got energy, and he's passionate about reaching people, Jew and Gentile, uh, for the Messiah of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to chapter 6. Chapter 6 to 19, Chris, is I got good news and bad news. What do you want? The good news or the bad news first? Let's go with the bad news first. The bad news first is chapter 6 to 19 is nothing but surus. Mm-hmm. Nothing but surus. Trouble. Tr- big trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time that is... Is anything okay? <laughs> there won't be. Mo- there will be some things okay, but very little during this period of time. Jeremiah chapter thirty and verse seven talks about the time of Jeremiah's. Th- uh, uh, now, Jeremiah talks about Jacob's trouble mm-hmm. and th- an unprecedented time. The rabbis who are not don't have anything to do with Jesus as the Messiah talk about the birth pangs of the Messiah. They have a strong belief that Messiah will come. If he doesn't come from the righteousness alone of our people, many rabbis say he will come no matter what, but then he's going to come in the midst of trouble, unbelievable trouble, just like a woman giving birth, Mm -hmm. the pain involved. And so, Chris, we're going to see in chapter 6 through 19, we're going to see lots of trouble. I mean, we're talking— And it's global. Oh, it's, it's global. global. It's, it's all over. It's but cosmic. But it's God global. will not lose his witness during that time. No, and can I say this too, Steve, is that the New Testament has been building to this moment. You know, I think about the fact that when the apostles uh, uh, were writing, especially Paul, you know, Paul writing, uh, but all of them saw 
the fact that judgment was coming. And I'm reminded in in Romans chapter 2, Paul saw this judgment coming, and he says this uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? This is start. This is uh, uh, Revelation six through nineteen. Or do you show contempt for the? I love this. The riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. That's what when we talk about the surus that's coming. Paul talked about the surus. He's saying those who are stubborn and unrepentant, refusing to turn to the Lord, that ultimately they're storing up wrath in this very day for the day of wrath that's coming in the future. And so Paul talks about, Zephaniah talks about a global cosmic uh, judgment that's coming on mankind. Mankind. Uh, He focuses on Israel, but also mankind, the whole world, for sin. So when we're talking about this, this isn't just John having some uh, apocalyptic uh, vision. It's just not only rooted in what the Old Testament prophets spoke, but also what the apostles and Jesus himself spoke as well. And you know, Chris, uh, just to have a, a, a light moment here, we know that the first of the seals that are broken are called the four horses of the apocalypse. Oh, yeah, that's right. But we know that you have a a kind of uh, firsthand knowledge of the four I have, horses of the apocalypse. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I have the the I, you know we teach prophecy here at the Friends of Israel, and I always tell people I I know who the four horsemen of the apocalypse <laughs> are. They live with me. They're they're my kids: Olive, Cohen, Preston, and Levi. And uh, I mean it jokingly. In fact, today we were getting ready for our upcoming online conference, and somehow the four horsemen came up. And my wife, who works here at Friends of Israel, said, you can't say that anymore. We've got to paint our kids in a better light. But my joke is that the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I, you know, they're always dominion. Don't they eat, don't they eat you out of house oh, and home? Dominion. That's the first horseman, remember? there's all, They're always fighting. The second is that they're always eating me out of house. There's a famine in the land all the time. <laughs> there's always economic turmoil. Why? Because I I got nothing. I got bupkis because these kids, they cost so much. There's pestilence because they go to school and they bring back before even COVID. So you get sick all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they're the cutest four horsemen of the apocalypses you'll ever see. They won't scare you as much as these four horsemen will. So let's uh, start at least. This is kind of an intro to this broad period of time, uh, which is a seven-year period starting with the first seal that's broken. Why don't you read? Yeah, I watched as the Lamb, verse 1, opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another came out. A fiery, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, and six pounds of barley for a day's wage, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given the power over the f- a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. You know, Chris, uh, in your version, which I think is the ESV, right? Uh, the NIV. And I, you're reading the NIV. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I actually like the idea that the in, in, in the NIV, it keeps saying the lamb. It reminds us of who is opening the seal. these seals. That's really important because, quite frankly, there's debate in eschatology as to 
Uh, those who hold to a pre-trib, we just talked about that. We believe the rapture takes place before the tribulation begins. There are people who are mid-tribulation. There are people who are pre-wrath. There are people who are post-trib. Mm-hmm. And one of the strong reasons we believe in a pre-trib is we're saying, wait a minute, this tribulation is brought about by the Lamb. The Lamb is the one—if the Lamb doesn't open up these seals— then this judgment will not happen. That's right. And the argument for mid-trib and pre-wrath is that it's it's not God's wrath, it's man's wrath. And there's there's debate. Let's just say there's debate. But <laughs> but from an NIV point of view, which I, I and look, even in my version, it's he. It's still talking back in chapter five, the Lamb, the only one worthy, the only one who could open and break the seals. seals. That's yep. so important. It was great to hear that. So. What happens as a result? We were talking about your children, but this is that's a joke. This is no joke. This is no joke, and it starts off with a white horseman. And you know, I know that uh, in the past there has been debate as to who is the white horseman because later on in Revelation chapter nineteen, we're going to see another white horse and and another individual riding clothed in white. And Only so, he's different. He's different. Much different. But there was, uh, and, and we're talking, of course, about Jesus, but there were scholars that said, oh, this first one must be Jesus because it's white and he's, you know, he's coming with power and authority, but it's not. It's actually, uh, I, I think, a picture of the Antichrist coming, and it's the idea that he's here to conquer, to conquer land. It even says it here, to conquer people. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror belt, bent on conquest, which means he's going out into the world and and uh, to, to ultimately conquer the world. You know, the Antichrist is basically opposite of who Jesus is. And what we're going to see in the book of Revelation as we go through it is that Satan, Steve, to me, is not creative at all. He's not creative like God. All he can do is copy God. So everything that he's trying to do is copy. And so he knows that when Jesus returns, he will uh, rule from Jerusalem, from from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. It says in Psalm seventy two. Well, that's what the anti. That's what Satan wants. He wants uh, uh, to rule from uh, all of the world, but his will be done through conquering, and that's the picture we see here. I think in in uh, no question. Revelation what's going to happen is there's trouble. We caught, talked about Cirrus trouble uh, because all these things will create chaos, mm-hmm. although he'll want to bring order, conquering, he's, he'll want to bring order, but chaos, death, destruction, hunger, pestilence, all the things you talked about your kids in a, in a funny way is going to be worldwide in, not, in a real way. And, and Chris, this is the beginning, uh, chapter six is the beginning of what we call the tribulation period. Can you define that? I, I think this is good for us to do now, because we don't often get a chance to do this, which is define the tribulation period. You know, I know it can get confusing. This is the 70th week of Daniel, and all 70 weeks are a program that God instituted to reconstitute, to re, to regenerate, uh, to regenerate the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, Adam blew it. We've we've discussed that mm-hmm. in, in our podcast, uh, and this is the near the end of the program where ultimately the kingdom is promised, where the Messiah rules, where the wolf lies down with the lamb, and weapons of war will be turned into instruments of righteousness, uh, for farming. And this is what, by the way, if you're a religious Jewish person, they look for Mashiach to come. For finally, there'll be a, a wonderful period. The world to come. This is the beginning of the birth pangs of the Messiah. Yes. And Chris, as bad as it's go- as we're talking about in chapter 6, uh, your wife was pregnant three times. My wife was pregnant three times. Four deliveries, mm-hmm. even though we, get a, we each got a bonus. Our wives had a bonus birth. We could say as men, thank God, if men had to have babies, there'd be no people on the earth. Women could take it, but it's hard. And you could watch, as I did and you did, at first your wife, my wife said, oh, it's not too bad. I I feel it. I feel it. But it's not too bad. And then a long period of time, oh, there's there's another one. Now, obviously, I'm not the one having it. What happens over a period of time is there eventually comes, you better take me to the hospital yep. because now they're becoming intense and they're becoming closer together. 
That's exactly what's going to, that's why the rabbis called this the birth pangs of Mashiach, because it starts off in chapter six. It's, it's bad, but in comparison to what it's going to be, it's not too bad. And they're kind of further apart. As we go through this text, we're going to see the judgments get far more intense and far closer together. This time, the baby isn't born. This time at the end, the Messiah comes in the clouds. What a day that will be. And that's that's the picture. You know, I like that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that when we talk about earthquakes and nation rising up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, you know, we see these events taking place. Uh, it's not the tribulation period. It's the beginning of birth pangs. So it's not even, it's, it's a, what are they called? A Braxton Hicks? You know, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not the real thing yet, but it's giving you warning that it's coming and to keep your eyes out. I, I think that's a lot of what the New Testament writers are trying to encourage us as believers as we read God's word is to keep our eyes on Christ. You know, it's interesting, Chris, as you talk about that, one of the news items we're going to talk about actually confirms what you're saying. I think it's a great time to segue to it. That, oh, you want to go there right now? You don't want to do one more horse? Go ahead, do another All horse. Right. The, really quick, well, we have the second horse, uh, which is this. He says, I saw the second living creature say come, and I saw another horse come out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. Uh, to him was given a large What a way to sword. stop our study yeah. on that. <laughs> Taking all peace away. Ay, ay, ay. But that is exactly, again, if you notice, it, Antichrist is always opposite of what Christ is to do. So Christ doesn't have to conquer. He comes, he speaks a word, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Antichrist has to go through and conquer. The, the red horse is coming. And notice, when Jesus comes, he's the prince of peace. He resides in the city of peace, and he brings peace, uh, as you mentioned. But yet this horse, when it comes, is not bringing peace. In fact, he's, uh, it says that he's, the rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. Uh, and so, again, it's the, the picture being opposite of everything that Jesus is, is what we're seeing in these four horses. So I guess we can pick up next week I and think continue we, I our think discussion. I think we should, because let's go to the news, Chris, because it's it, it kind of is we're still there, only now we're going to look at a news event that kind of talks about the things that we're seeing right now, which are kind of precursors to what's really going to happen once the tribulation starts. And I have here, Chris, a Pew, P-E-W, Research Center uh, survey. And this is from Pew Research Center. So that's the website. Uh, and here's what it says. It's from December 8th, 2022. About four in 10 U.S. adults believe humanity is living in the end times. Chris, that's, an, that's 40 a 40% of Americans believe right now we're living in end times. And isn't that exactly what you just said? Yep. Uh, that Jesus said in Matthew 24, that where he talks about th those are just the, be that's just the beginning. That's exactly right. It's just the beginning of the birth, the birth pains that are coming. But it's, these are large numbers. I know it doesn't sound like it, that, a, you know, it's, we're talking about a four in 10, but that's almost a half of Americans believe that we're living in the end times or close to the end times. And I'm sure what's happening, Steve, is they're doing exactly like you said what Jesus was saying. When you look around, you see what's going on globally. And I'm going to tell you something. We have something, Steve, that people didn't have for thousands of years after Jesus spoke these words, and that's that we have news. And news does nothing but promote what's going on around the world constantly. Um, and maybe even it creates some of the problems that we're dealing with today. But the news gives us insights globally into the turmoil in the world. And so I'm sure even with that, we're, we're, what we're able to see is that the, that the beginning of the birth pangs is here. It's been around, but it's ultimately going to find its culmination and in tribulation. And you know, Chris, Pew breaks it down to interesting uh, statistics. And I'm just reading what they say. First of all, if you're a Republican— 45% of Republicans believe we're living in the end days. If you're a Democrat, 33%. That's a lot. Believe. That's still a lot of people. But if if you're white, 34%. If you're black, 68% believe we're living in the last days. 
Hispanic, 41%. Asian, 33%. Even if you're an atheist, 9% of atheists believe we're living in the last days. That's amazing. <laughs> How is that possible? I, I, don't, I, I don't know, but that's... It, that's what it says. It that, says this too. Christians, U.S. Protestants in evangelical and historically black traditions, especially likely to believe humanity is living in the end days. Uh, Christian, 47% believe do. Protestant, 55%. Evangelical, 63%. Mainline denominations, 31%. Historically black churches, 76%. Catholic churches, 27%. Other religions, 29%, and that's where you got your atheists, agnostics, and nothing in particular. So even people who go, I don't really know what I believe in, even they think, 30% think we're living in the last days. Chris, people are edgy. Not in a mean way, edgy, although some might be, but I'm talking, people look around and say, what is going on? My mother, who is not a believer, my mother, uh, who is going to be 99 years old in March, will tell me, Steve, what in the world is going on? This world is Michigas. Mm. She said, "It's Michigana." I don't. She, she's, she's everything that uh, was was a foundation for her. That's right. Seems to be pulled out from under her. She's lived through two wars: the Korean War, the Vietnam War. She's lived through depressions. She's lived through all kinds of ups and downs from the market. Working, retired, she's. She has told me, Steve. I've never seen anything like this, and I think the Pew Research survey indicates us to us that in America they're wondering too. They're on edge. Yeah, I think a lot of people are on edge. You know, though, I want to remind our listeners um, that I think the Apostle Paul was on edge. You know what I was reading the other day was First Corinthians, when he says, "You know what? This is my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt." If you if you're not married, don't get married. <laughs> I, I love this. You, you know, if you're if you're a single guy, the only thing you have to worry about, or a single girl, is the Lord. But if you get married, now you've got another. You got somebody else you have to take care of, or a family. I know exactly. I read that and connected with it right away. And I do. I love my family. I, I serve my family with joy. But I understand what he's saying. You know, uh, if you're if, if 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 you're single, you can just completely dedicate your life to the service of the Lord. But the reality is, is that Paul was saying those in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Do you want to, in my opinion, he's saying, do you want to get married and go down that path? The end is near. And I really think Paul lived with that mentality. And here we are 2,000 years later, and you know what? I still think we need that mentality. I think we've lost it, but I think we need that, that, that he thought the end was near. That's right. He's only been gone a couple of days. That's <laughs> I love it when you say that. So anyway, uh, very interesting poll. You can get that Pew Research poll. We'll have it uh, in our in our show notes. The, the other one, Chris, you sent me. So I'm going to turn it back to you. Yes. But I want to just, I'll just read the headline. You sent this to me, and we've been laughing back and forth because in Israel, they're making a big tzimus. That's not the Yiddish word for the day. Big tzimus means a big deal. A big deal. About... The the Supreme Court and the uh, Netanyahu and Democrat Democratic country Israel's judicial reform controversy is much ado about nothing. I love this. Yeah, I found this and I I loved it too because all of the major news outlets are trying to tell you something. There were 110,000 Israelis that took to the streets of Tel Aviv to protest the Netanyahu government because of the of the judicial reforms that they're bringing, but no one ever says the reason why they're bringing the judicial reforms. All I mean, it's all it is is I, I, I learned this term, and I think it's here in, in the way that the, the media is promoting it. It's gaslighting. It's 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 showing uh, sharing something that's not there. And tell us, gaslighting is is a is a word that we use as a lot of people use, but not everybody is familiar with. Yeah, it. it's the, I think it has to do with the idea. That you're looking at something, you're hearing something, but the truth isn't always there. That they're sharing one thing, but you're getting another. And so that's what's happening when they're talking about this judicial reform that's taking place in Israel. And so, uh, you know, there these is these Israelis, which they have every right to do because it's a democracy, are taking to the streets and saying, you know, this is a coup to prevent uh, the government takeover of the Supreme Court of Israel. But let, now, before you go, okay, wait a minute, what do you mean reforms of the judicial, the Supreme Court? As an American, that can frighten us because 
we know what that means. Uh, uh, you know, but I actually think Israel, uh, America's uh, separation of powers is a lot more clear than the Israeli separation no of powers. About it. And so we have an equal set of branches where Israel actually doesn't have an equal set of branches. A lot of it has to do with the legislative branch. In fact, we have the, in, in, in our system, Steve, we have the president, which is the executive branch, which is totally separate from the legislative branch, the two houses of, of Congress, and then we have our judicial branch. In Israel, the prime minister is in the legislative branch. And so the judicial body is so interesting in Israel because they actually never took on a constitution. They're still writing it. They're still writing it, exactly. And their government is more towards the British system than the American system. Let me just read, Chris, if I can. Uh, the author here says, as Proverbs 26.11 teaches, as a dog returns to his vomit, so does a fool repeat his folly. There is no substantive basis whatsoever for these performative sh shrieks of hysteria. The Netanyahu-led government's judicial reform package is just and proper as a matter of both political theory and comparative constitutional law. Ironically, moreover, despite the reflex reflexive condemnations of those uh, purportedly concerned about the health of Israel's vibrant democracy, the judicial reform package would substantially bolster Israel's actual democracy by diminishing its juristocracy. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a the, very interesting thing, Chris. And that's the word that this uh, opinion writer likes to use is juristocracy. That, I love that word. I do, too. I that, could barely say it, but I like it. You you nailed that one. Good job. That's one out of 20. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the idea is, uh, is really good here. He's giving us the basis for the reforms. And in the article, he mentions that in the 1990s, the Supreme Court decided to take it up of, 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 of Israel, decided to take upon itself the uh, onus to basically determine what should be law and what shouldn't be law. They got involved in legislating. That's right. And so when the Knesset, which is the legislative body of Israel, would make a law, they go, mm, no, you can't do that. And then all of a sudden they would say, you can't make that law. You can't make that law. You can make that law. All of a sudden, they became the judges of what law could and couldn't be, which isn't what— That would turn off Americans big time. Well, and what's interesting is that the Supreme Court has the lowest approval ratings of all the, you know, the legislative branch. The Supreme Court is way down. This is in Israel. This is in Israel. And so uh, that's important to know. But I, I want to read this last paragraph here because I think it's going to give some definition in case it ever comes up in conversation. Um, but it's this. This is what the reforms are doing. The Israel Supreme Court currently maintains horrifically low approval ratings. The right-leaning Israeli public stridently opposes the left-wing court's serial decades-long power grabs. The Netanyahu government's judicial reform package would primarily, one, make it easier for the Knesset, which is Israel's parliament, to override misbegotten Supreme Court rulings by, certain th by a certain threshold— and two, amend the ex, uh, uh, extant practice uh, of selecting new justices from the current uh, egregious system, wherein judge, uh, justices essentially choose their very own successors oh, yeah, and yeah. what can only be described as a grotesque act of nepotism. No, no, no. So, That's bad. Now, in America, our president chooses who the Supreme Court is, which means that there's a say that the, the people elect he, the president. He brings appointees. He brings them, but they got to be approved. That's right. That So, yes, the president gets he gets a list that he puts together, but it's it's the Senate that approves the Senate them. approves it. That's so, right. And he, they could be turned down. We've had all kinds of controversy here. The author here is saying, hey, they're out of line. They are they are they are they're choosing themselves too much. And the public is getting crazy. And what people are now protesting and getting all bent out of shape is a reigning in of the Supreme Court in Israel. That's right. And by the way, that's a matter of governing. The people put this government in, and they are acting, the majority are saying, we don't like this. They elect people who say, we don't like this. And they're working to do stuff that will, for their constituents, bring to line what they, the democracy, wants. Now, by the way, you and I know we live in a republic, the United States, and we elect officials. Even the people we agree with, we don't always agree with. Yeah. Of course. Now, we are, there are representatives, and 
a representative mostly will do if you vote for them. You're going to agree with most of what they do, but not all the time what they do. It's just the way it is. So uh, we should be, whenever you see protests, find out what they're protesting and is it good or bad what they're protesting. By the way, we just had a march for uh, right to life, right? 175,000 people, even after Roe was reversed. That's right. 175,000 people. I heard both sides uh, talking about this. I heard the liberal side who said, I don't know why they're doing this. They're going to try to just take it away, even in the states. They're never satisfied. This is awful. And they never mentioned how many were there. They just said, oh, they're out there. And then I heard the conservative side. This is, look, every state has a right. We have a goal. We believe every life counts. And 175,000 people agreed. And by the way, I didn't hear, did you hear about, and there was no fires, no cars burned, no, they came, they did their thing and they went home. Amazing. And by the way, in Israel, isn't it interesting that when they built the Knesset, they built a special place. It's about half the size of a football field. I remember the very first time we went with a guide there and said, oh yeah, that area designed by an architect so people could complain. (laughs) Yeah. It's a special place to protest. That's right. They have their own pl- only in Israel. Oh, that's where the protesters. That's the protesters. Go. That's the protesters. Uh, have you galley. ever passed by? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's a, I, I, only in Israel. I was so happy. Look, w- when we design this, we already know there's going to be complainers. Zygazunt, here's your place. Say whatever you want. It's your right. And. People could cover you for TV and news, which they do. They have their own place. In Israel, complaining is a part of the DNA of uh, of Ah, the Israeli lifestyle. It can't be fun. I love it. All right. Hey, Steve, this was great. Great insight as to what's going on. But hey, listen, I had a very, very busy day today with radio, and we have our conference coming up. So you've got the Yiddish word. Is that right? I do have the Yiddish word, Chris, and it's actually a Hebrew word and a Yiddish word. And I was looking for something that would go with what we call the tribulation. Oh, Yiddish word of of the day. Of course, it could be tsuris. Tsuris is trouble, but that's not the word. We've used that before. Chris, the Yiddish word for the day is a Hebrew word also called mishpat. Mishpat, that's right. And you know that word very well. I announced it to you before we came on. And Chris, connect for us the Hebrew to, it, it actually means justice. Yeah, justice. Uh, a judgment. It could be just judgment, justice, and how, it connects to another word, Chris. So this period of time that we're talking about called the tribulation period, a 70th week of Daniel, this whole period of time, God unleashes, the lamb breaks the seals, and judgment comes. But what word springs from that, Chris? But it's also the word for tzedakah is another one. Tzedakah. That's, that's uh, the Jewish national fund. That's put, right. Tzedakah. Tzedakah is righteousness. Righteous. And it actually mentions that, too, as it talks about the righteousness of God. Remember, Paul says that. He goes, that judgment will come and the righteousness of God will be revealed. That's the idea. It's amazing that judgment just... Boy, Chris, justice today. All the the college campuses demanding justice. Uh, Well, justice, guess what part of justice is? Judgment. Judgment. And, And when Jesus judges... It's a righteous judgment. But we often think of judgment in light of, like you said, the negative. But there's also a vindication with judgment as well. In fact, Chris, it says, uh, but it means more than just the punishment of wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. Mishpat is giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. Mm -hmm. There's a second Hebrew word sometimes translated as just. Sadaka. Sadaka. Can I just say pretty soon as we go through Revelation, we're going to hear two voices. We're going to see the ones who are running from God's judgment uh, and punishment, but we're also going to hear those martyrs who stayed faithful to the bitter end and died uh, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they are under the altar and they are saying, Lord, when will you vindicate our name? Which means when will your justice be poured out? on our side. And so that's what they're waiting for. That's what we're waiting for as Christians. Amen. So that's the picture of Mishpat. 
the Yiddish word of the day. Wonderful. All right, everybody. That's the Yiddish word, Mishpat. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Just a fresh reminder. Go to foiequip.org. Foiequip.org. You can do it right now. Dan Price. Dan Price is coming up with his last class on Thursday night, this Thursday, where you're going to be able to hear his last class on the Tabernacle. Then in February, we have the roundtable of what it was like, what it's like to be a Jewish believer, a heavenly bound Hebrew. That's going to be with Steve and all of our friends here at Friends of Israel who are Jewish believers. I don't think I'm going to get a word in, but I'll get the last word here. Have a great one, and we'll see you next week.